Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. As you take your Bibles and as our kids head back with Miss Kathy uh, to Kids Church, we invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 18. This morning we're just we're looking at Genesis chapter 18 and uh, 19 as we consider uh, the really as we finish out the life of Abraham. Uh, we've spent, I think now this is the third week, and, and so, so far we've seen God's promise to Abraham. We've seen um, Abraham and Sarah uh, d- decide that God's plan was taking a little bit too long, so they were just going to, you know, kind of take things into their own hands and, and the, the fallout from that. And this morning we'll, con- we'll continue to see j- just the disaster that, that sin creates and the grace of God within the mess. All right, so uh, let me wrap up real quick, or let me, let me recap where we've been so far. So uh, we looked at creation, started in the beginning. It's a good place to start, right? So, so we began in the beginning with uh, creation. We said simply that God, as the author of creation, gets to set the rules. We saw clearly that, that God created everything good, and then we got into Adam and Eve. We learned about God's plan for them. We saw uh, God's plan for their relationship, God, God's plan for marriage. We saw that there was no strife between husband and wife. We saw there was no separation uh, between God and people. And everything was perfect, and that lasted for two chapters. And then Adam and Eve decided to go their own way, and they sinned against God. And we, we saw everything fall apart. And since then, since that third week, we've, we've really watched the effects of sin play out. Now, we certainly see that in our own lives still today, and, and, and we're going to see that in a major way in, in the passage before us as we uh, look briefly at Sodom and Gomorrah and, and um, God pouring out his wrath on, on those two cities because of their wickedness. And we see that sin always always takes us farther than we want to go, and it costs us more than we want to pay. We saw some of that with Cain and Abel, right? The first murder. But then we were introduced to a man named Enoch who, who we really don't know much about, but we're simply told that he walked with God. In the middle of a corrupt generation, Enoch walked with God. We see the, the legacy of faith that, that was passed down to his great-grandson Noah, who, who lived a, a life of faith in the midst of uh, an extremely wicked generation, so much so that, that God decided to basically hit reset with Noah and his family. And, and yet, that didn't, call, that didn't um, solve the sin problem. Sin remained and sin continued to grow, as we saw in the story of Babel. Where uh, instead of obeying God's uh, command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, uh, mankind decided they were just going to kind of settle in one place and that they would make themselves great. They would make a great name for themselves. We saw in that story that God will not share his glory with another. We're told he came down and he confused their language and then scattered them. And, And in effect, God poured out grace in the middle of punishment. He poured out grace so that they would be obedient to what he commanded them to do. And then over the past two weeks, we've looked at Abraham. 
one of the most important people in the Old Testament and really one of the most important figures in the entire uh, Bible. Because through Abraham, we're given the promise uh, that, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And, and God said to Abraham in chapter 12, through you, all the peoples of the earth or all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We see that ultimately fulfilled in Christ Jesus, who came preaching a message not just to the Hebrews, not just to the Jews, but to all people, calling all people to repentance and declaring that all are welcome in the kingdom of God. And we've seen, we saw God's call on Abraham to, to pack up and, and go. We saw God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, where, where God says, I, uh, God, God made Abraham lay out sacrifices. And we saw the, the, the flaming torch and the, the pot that passed between them. Where, where God essentially says, may, may I be like these animals if I don't fulfill my promise to you. God, God's staking his promise to Abraham on his character. That it would be done. Then, of course, we, you saw Abraham and Sarah deciding they were tired of waiting on God's plan. I know we would never do that, right? We would never say, I just got to help God's plan along here a little bit. Um, he's taking two, you know, my, I, I, got, I got a meeting later. You know, we, if we could just speed this up, that would be really great. You know, we got 401ks to worry about, right? So if God would just get with the, get with the plan here, all would go well, right? No, that never goes well when you, when you approach things like that. And this morning, we'll continue to see really two extremes. We'll continue to see God's faithfulness to Abraham and God's wrath on sin. And how those two things tie together. I'm excited. I hope you are too. Uh, so let's dive in. We're going to read uh, Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. So if you'll stand with me, let's, let's read the word the Lord's given to us this morning. We're going to start off with three visitors the word of the Lord says this, the Lord appeared to Abraham at the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. He looked up and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them, bowed to the ground and said, my Lord, if I have found favor with you, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. This is why you have passed your servant's way. Later you can continue on. Yes, they replied, do as you said. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, Quick, knead three measures of fine flour and make bread. Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender choice calf. He gave it to a young man who hurried to prepare it. Then Abraham took curds and milk as well as the calf that he had prepared and set them before the men. He served them as they ate under the tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, 
you did laugh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And we pray that you will bless our time here together. We pray that you'll speak to your word through us. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now we're going to begin here with God's promise, okay? Uh, now, I'm, I don't have anything on the screen this morning, right? So you're just going to have to follow along. If you want to jot down, I'll, I'll throw out some, some other references. Uh, but let's, let's just follow along with the story here this morning. See what God's doing. We start with God's promise to Abraham. Now, now imagine this, okay? We saw uh, God promise Abraham in, in chapter 12. When Abraham was 75 years old and God called him to go. And really, that's all he said. He said, Abraham, I want you to pack up your belongings. I want you to leave everything you know, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. We're told Abraham was 75 years old. He was not a spring chicken when God told him to do this, and we know that, that Abraham had a decent amount of wealth. So this was a big deal. This was a disrupting thing in his life, and yet he obeyed. He goes. In chapter 15, we're, we're told that that. God appeared to Abraham and confirmed the, the covenant. Saying, you are surely going to have a son. And yet here we pick up in, in chapter 18. And 24 years have passed since the first promise. Abraham was 75. Sarah was 65 when, when the promise was first made. Here they are. 99 and 89 years old, waiting on God's promise. You know, I wonder how many times they thought that maybe God had forgotten about them. I wonder how many times they, they sat and they talked and they prayed and they cried, wondering if they had maybe misunderstood everything. Have you ever been there? Were we off? Did we do something wrong? Well, yes, they, they did a few things wrong in the, in the process. But has God, has God given up on us because of, because of our sin? Did, did, did we somehow break the promise that, that he made to us? You know, what's interesting is that as I was reading through this, I was thinking through several, pass several times in Scripture, several passages, where this is a pattern, this is a theme. People wonder if God has forgotten about them. Let's walk through just a couple of these. For instance, um, right after Genesis, the, uh, the, the book of Genesis ends, as we will here in a few weeks, with the story of Joseph. And Joseph and his family are in Egypt. Everything's going well. Joseph is a, is a man of power and influence with Pharaoh. His family is there, and it would seem like they live happily ever after. And yet, the book of Exodus picks up and tells us that a new Pharaoh arose who didn't know anything about Joseph or about his family. And he looks around and sees this growing Hebrew population and says to himself, you know, if, if these folks decided to revolt, we would have serious problems. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to enslave them. And the Bible tells us that just as God told Abraham what happened, the Hebrew children served as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And you know what we're told about those 400 years? <clears throat> Nothing. The story picks up in Exodus 400 years later, and it simply says that 
that the people cried out because of the difficult labor. They wondered if God had forgotten them. And at the end of Exodus chapter 2, we're simply given this statement. And I love it because it's so simple, but so profound. It says simply this, And God saw the Israelites, and God knew. Fast forward a few books and a few hundred years, and we come to the book of 1 Samuel. And to a woman named Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, who cried out repeatedly to the Lord for a child. In fact, one time we're told that she prayed to the Lord uh, so hard. She She was in the temple praying to the point that the priest Eli actually thought she was drunk. And he begins to, to chastise her for being drunk. And she says, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not, I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm just, um, I'm praying for, for the Lord to, to give me a child. And, and Eli, who, who was not a very good priest, even he recognized what the Lord was up to. And he said, the, the Lord's heard you. She spent a lot of time wondering if, if the Lord cared. Sure enough, she has a son named Samuel. We get into the Old Testament prophets, and there's a book, a short book called Habakkuk. And there, this prophet Habakkuk cries out and says, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? See, Habakkuk looked around at the wickedness of the people around him, the wickedness of the culture, and he said, God, do you not care? Do you not see what's going on here? The Lord's response here is really the same that he gave to the Hebrew children, that that he sees, that he knows. It's not really what Habakkuk wants because God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Chaldeans to destroy your people because of their disobedience. And and Habakkuk comes back and says, well, that's, hold up. That's not really what I was trying to get at. But the point is that, that the Lord saw and the Lord knew. Then in between the Old and the New Testaments, again, we have 400 years of silence. Until a man named John the Baptist shows up, who's really an Old Testament character in the middle of the New Testament, or at the beginning of the New Testament. Proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand and calling on people to repent. See, what we see there is that God remembered his promise that he made to Abraham, that all the peoples on earth would be blessed through him. See, see, the point is this. Every time in Scripture when someone wondered whether God knew their situation or not, the answer is always clear. Yes. God knows. God knew Abraham and Sarah's situation. God knew the Hebrew children's situation in Egypt. He heard Hannah's plea for a child. He heard Habakkuk's cry about the wickedness around him. He remembered his promise to Abraham and ultimately to you and to me. Listen, God sees and God knows exactly where you are today as well. He has not forgotten you. Now, as I said, listen, the Lord does not always or really ever work according to our timeline. Okay? 
We know that at least once, Abraham and Sarah tried to take matters into their own hands and, and to kind of help God's plan along, and that did not go well for them. And, and we'll continue to see the, uh, the fallout from that as we go on in the, in the story. But isn't it amazing that even through their failure, God didn't give up on his plan with Abraham and Sarah? Isn't it amazing that God was faithful to his promises even when his people were utterly faithless? See, in 2 Timothy, which we just finished, I believe, last fall is when we walked through 2 Timothy. We're given just this little verse, 2 Timothy 2.13, simply says this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So understand this, folks. Listen, God's faithfulness to you is not dependent upon you. Isn't that a great thought? Now, 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 let's pause for a second and let, let's clarify. That doesn't mean that you can just go out and do whatever you want and live however you want because, well, God's faithfulness to me is not dependent upon me, so I'll just go live uh, however I want and he'll continue to be faithful to me. I think I have some ground to stand on and say, if that's your attitude, like you've not understood what repentance means, you've not understood what it means to follow Christ as Lord and Savior, and we need to talk... And you probably need to get saved if that's like the way you're living, okay? And what we see clearly is that there are consequences for disobedience. We see that all throughout Scripture. We see that in Abraham and Sarah. When they took God's plans into their own hands and said, listen, this is what we'll do. Uh, you just, Abraham, you just have a child by my, my servant Hagar, and, and we'll just raise that child like our own. No, that caused consequences. There's fallout from sin. What I'm simply trying to say here is that if, if God's faithfulness depended upon the faithfulness of his people, we would be sunk. In fact, I think the cross is the ultimate declaration of God's faithfulness to his people. While we were powerless, at the right time, God sent his son. Don't miss that. Don't miss the faithfulness of God here. Let's go on. Let's pick up verse 16 and read down through the end of, the, of chapter 18. The men got up from there and looked out over Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to see them off. Then the Lord said, Should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. You see this repeating of the covenant. By the way, we're told that Abraham had three visitors. What we'll see in just a moment is that two of them, who are described as angels, go on to Sodom and Gomorrah, but one stays behind. And if you see here, he, the one who stays behind is referred to as the Lord, and in most of our Bibles, it'll be uh, Lord with a capital L and then a small caps for O-R-D. That is, when we see that in the New Testament, any side, anytime you see that, uh, Lord in, in small caps like that, that's a reference to the Lord's name Yahweh, which God uh, gave to Moses at the burning bush as his holy name. Many scholars will actually argue that right here, this is a pre-incarnate appearing of Jesus Christ. This is God the Son showing up in the Old Testament. 
Interesting Easter egg. By the way, if, if any of you watched the, uh, uh, the Bible miniseries that was put out a few years ago by Roma Downey and, and Mark Burnett, um, uh, in, in this scene, they, they never show the, the, the man's face that's talking with Abraham, except just kind of a side view, and it's the same actor who ends up playing Jesus in the, in, in the, the New Testament. It was just a really small Easter egg that they put in there. Actually, so, so many scholars will actually argue that this is Jesus in the flesh right here in the Old Testament speaking with Abraham about what he's about to do. Verse 19. For I've chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. The men turned from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham stepped forward and said, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away if in... We really sweep, sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of 50 righteous people who are in it. You cannot possibly do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? Do you see here, by the way, Abraham uh, praying, arguing with God about God's character? Essentially, as, as he understood it, Abraham's proclaiming the gospel to God. You're righteous. Would, would you really sweep away the righteous with the just? Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham answered, since I have ventured to speak to my Lord, even though I am dust and ashes, suppose the 50 righteous lack five. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? He replied, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Then he spoke to him again. Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, I will not do it on account of 40. Then he said, Lord, let my, let my Lord not be angry and I will speak further. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Then he said, since I have ventured to speak to the Lord, suppose 20 are found there. He replied, I will not destroy it on account of 20. Then he said, Lord, let, let my Lord not be angry and I will speak one more time. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, I will not destroy it on account of ten. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Now, now here's the thing. Sodom was a wicked place. Abraham knew that it was a wicked place. And yet he pleads with God over and over and over again for, to spare it for the sake of really just a few righteous people. Right? It gets all the way down to ten. Kind of see like a, a divine auction going on here, right? 45, 40, 40, right? And Abraham gets it down to just 10. Just 10 people. Or there are 10 people. Would you spare it? See, here's what we see. Abraham understood the goodness of God. I wonder if he looked back on his own life as a pagan for, for 75 years before the Lord saved him, before the Lord called him. And he saw God's patience in his own life. That caused him to plead on behalf of Sodom. And we certainly understood that God is a God of mercy, a God of grace. He knew this from his own experiences as well, as his own failures. 
So Abraham, this man of faith, this righteous man, because of his faith, pleads for grace for a city of great evil. I don't miss this. What Abraham is doing here is what we call intercessory prayer, prayer on behalf of someone else. You know, and I wonder if, if maybe this, this interaction with, with the Lord didn't happen all night, if Abraham didn't spend all night pleading with the Lord to save this city. We, we aren't told this. This is just my speculation, my curiosity. I wonder. Here's, here's my question for you. When's the last time you pled for someone you know the way Abraham pled for the city of Sodom? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if they, referring to the lost sinners, if they will not hear you speak, they cannot prevent your praying. Think about that for just a second. Like you're trying to talk to somebody about Jesus and they want nothing to do it. You, you, you know what we have more powerful than even talking to them is talking to Jesus about them. It's okay to gossip to Jesus about somebody else. They cannot prevent your praying. Do they jest at your exhortations? They cannot disturb you at your prayers. Are they far away so that you cannot reach them? Your prayers can reach them. Have they, have they declared that they will never listen to you again, nor see your face? Never mind, God has a voice which they must hear. Speak to him, and he will make them feel. Though they now treat you despitefully, rendering evil for your good, follow them with your prayers. Never let them perish for lack of your supplications. Wow, that's powerful. How often have we spent far more time frustrated than we have in prayer? Now, 19, so we have Abraham pleading for Sodom here in chapter 18. Then we get to 19, which is rightfully so, honestly, one of the most disturbing passages in all the Bible. Everything about it's disturbing. We see the great wickedness of the city of Sodom and the way they treat the two visitors. The depravity of sin that's there. And we're told that this is the place that Lot, Abraham's nephew, has settled in. And has apparently become a man of some influence because we're told that, the, that, that he meets these two visitors at the gate. And where Abraham rushed out to meet them and, and immediately set about preparing food for them, right? He rushed into the house, said, honey, we got visitors. Start baking some cakes. And he ran out and slaughtered a, slaughtered a calf and they, they had a feast where, where he was. He gladly met the Lord and, and these two angels were told that Lot just kind of said hi. We see something about the two men's characters here. And we see the way that being around this evil constantly has affected Lot. And that when these Two visitors are brought into Lot's house and we're told the men of the city gather at, their, at his door. Tell them to bring the two men so that they can violate them. Lot says, don't do this. Take my daughters instead. 
Now, later on, um, we'll see the, the daughters get back at Lot. I'm not going to go into all that for, for, for our sake here, but, but what we see within Lot's family, first of all, Lot's family has issues, okay? There are lots of issues at, at work here. And I think there's a principle here for us as parents, right? And that is simply this. Our actions have consequences. Now, now, now listen, it's, it's true that you're not always responsible for your children's behavior, right? One of my frustrations that I've had to deal with as a pastor through the years is that I have zero control over what anyone else does. I have, a, I have a couple come in for marriage counseling. I say, well, okay, this is what's going on. I understand. This is some things I think you should do. Come back three weeks later. How are things? Well, we haven't done anything that you've said. Great. Oh, pastor, I know we need to get back in church. We'd love to be there on Sunday morning. Well, I'd love to see. You know what I have zero power to do? Get someone here on Sunday morning. Well, it's not true. You're always responsible for your children's behavior. We need to understand our decisions have consequences. Keep in mind that earlier in this book, Lot chose to dwell among Sodom and Gomorrah. Among these two evil families, and, and even after coming to know the evil that was present, he didn't get out. That clearly affected his family. And we see the, the grip that the world had on Lot when the next morning, as, as fire and brimstone is getting ready to rain out of heaven and destroy these two cities, the angels are urging Lot and his family, get out, that Lot hesitated. See, the pull to the things of this world is strong. Even when we face imminent danger, we still hold on. We see this every time there's a massive hurricane heading towards the, the Gulf Coast, right? It's going to be like a Category 14. You should leave. We, expect, we don't expect anything to be standing. Well, this is my home. I'm going to stay with it. We're told this. In chapter 19, verse 16. But he hesitated. Because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. They brought him out and left him outside the city. We see here the angels of the Lord literally carrying, dragging Lot and his family out. Oh, that God would show that kind of grace to us. To get us out of the presence of sin. Lot was saved. Again, not because of anything he had done, right? You see, I mean, Lot's literally fighting against being saved, but because of the Lord's compassion for him, because of the Lord's grace and mercy, he pulled him out. In verse 29, after the city had been destroyed, Verse 29 says, so it was when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot had lived. Now, now really, really quickly, let's talk about this because this is, a, this is a disturbing passage. Verses 30 through 38 get really disturbing, right? Where Lot's daughters feel hopeless. So they hatch a plan to get pregnant by their father. And, and so they get him drunk. Again, when, when you get drunk, 
make poor decisions, poor things can happen to you, right? And out of that relationship, we see the fact that two of Israel's biggest enemies, the Moabites and the Ammonites, are raised from that action. And you see those two people consistently throughout the rest of the Old Testament causing issues for the Israelites. Again, actions have consequences. And Israelite readers would have understood that point when they see those words, Moabites and Ammonites. Man, that's where they came from. This is a bad deal, bad decision. Now understand this. When we look at the evil of Sodom and Gomorrah, we look at the destruction of those two cities. The Bible is going to make clear this is what each of us deserve. This is the consequence of sin. Death, being, being eternally separated from God in, in a place called hell is described as, as a place of burning sulfur, of never-ending torment. This, if, if, if life were fair, this is the kind of end that all of us deserve to come to. In the New Testament, what we see is that God sent Jesus to absorb the wrath of God. So that same wrath that God poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed them, we're told he poured out on Jesus instead of on you and me. Now there are a lot of parallels in this culture, right? I think we're, we're living in a culture that increasingly has a lot in common with Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and I'll write um, disregard for the things of God and a full-on license to do anything and everything opposed to the Word of God. And yet we see God's grace in the middle of this, and that he pulled out Abraham and Lot. He was faithful to his promise. Despite a lack of faith by some of the most important characters in the Bible, time and time again, where they lacked faith. In the New Testament, we see God telling us that we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, so that no one can boast. It's a gift of God. And Jesus, in my place, took the wrath of God. See, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, this is what the Bible says we all deserve. Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And yet because of God's great love for us, he poured out his wrath on Jesus so that we might be reconciled with God. If you're here and you've been a believer, I hope you never lose sight of this, that this is what we deserve. And, and, and hear this, you and I are not the heroes of this story. Just like Abraham is not the hero of this story. Have you, see, have you picked up on that yet? Abraham, this great, this, this one that we call the patriarch, the great hero of the faith, when his wife says, you know what, I think you ought to sleep with my um, handmaid. Okay. Seems like a good idea. He's not the hero. God's the hero. 
Because God uses messed up, broken people to accomplish his purposes. So that when we read these stories, we wouldn't look at that and go, man, I really want to be like Abraham. No. So we read that and say, wow, look at how amazing God is that he uses somebody as messed up as Abraham. And maybe, just maybe, he can use me too. We're reminded of the grace of God. We're reminded, as the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, as Paul writes in the New Testament, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whether you're a believer, you've been a believer for 50 years, or, or if you're right here on the fence this morning going, I don't, know if, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing, this is what I want you to understand. God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin so that you might get his righteousness. And this is the reality that transforms our lives. No matter how long you're a believer, no matter how many worship services you sit in, I pray we never get over that fact. That I was a sinner deserving death and separation from God. And God sent Jesus while I was still a sinner because of his own love for us. Because of his own love for me, he sent Christ to die for me. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this story, for the promises that we see, for, I thank you for the picture of your wrath that we see here. That, that through stories like Sodom and Gomorrah, we would understand that sin is serious. It's not something to play with. It's something to, to put to death, as Paul writes, something to flee from. And as we see the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and you pouring out your wrath, that we would come to understand that that's what we deserved. But because of your great love for us, you poured out that wrath on your son so that we might go free. We might experience eternal life and grace and forgiveness right here in this life. May we never take it for granted. May we never get over it. And may we be quick to proclaim this hope to a world that's just as lost as Sodom was. Let's call these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.